In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's again the worst intro in the world, but partly because we don't have any Brits on this podcast. Jack is off getting sunburned in Florida still. He's still on holiday. And Paul is packing the bags, trying to make his way into the country of Qatar, where rumor has it they're not selling beer at the stadium. Budweiser's suing them. You got corruption all over, so the World Cup is going to be a good time. So we went and recruited another one of our diamond dogs, one of the guys that you've probably heard before on other Brown shows, and that is our boy Jackson McCurry from the Dogland podcast, now currently under the Dogs by Nature, right? You guys are, the Dogland is now part of the Dogs by Nature group, right? Yeah, that's correct. We are one of the two official podcasts of Dogs by Nature. Uh, shout out to Jared Mueller for that. But it's the dog land as well as the dog's table. So the dog uh, the dog banner is still underneath the Dogs by Nature in some form or fashion. There it is. It's just more great Browns content as if there's not enough delightful Browns podcasts out there. But, you know, the Browns, well, we're playing the Bills this week and It's been a very interestingly nationally covered game because it was in Buffalo, then snowpocalypse hit. Now there's six feet of snow in Buffalo. So now they're like, you know what? Let's just go to Detroit where that's a dome. So now Browns fans are losing their mind because the advantage we thought we had is potentially now gone. Well, the Browns are going into this game losers of their last five, six, five out of six. And the bills have lost two in a row. So somebody's streak's going to break, but. Overall, what is your initial thoughts on this matchup before we kind of dive into it? Like, how are you feeling going into the game a little bit here, Jackson? Well, when, you know, the early reports were that the snowstorm was going to hit, I felt good that the Browns might make this a game, might even pull off the upset because of the snow, because we had the edge on the offensive line, the running game. Uh, obviously they are better overall offensively and defensively, but I thought the snow would benefit us. Then lo and behold, Thursday afternoon, they moved the game to Detroit. Now they're in a dome. You still, you don't feel really good about it, but Buffalo's had a tough week. They had players that were sick. Three of their key defensive starters are out. Um, Josh Allen still got the injured elbow. Uh, they haven't practiced much, but at the end of the day, when you look at it overall, Buffalo is still a really good team. They were my Super Bowl pick. Yeah, they've lost two in a row, but they're coming in with the second-ranked scoring offense, second-ranked scoring defense. This just seems like a game the Browns are going to get boat raced. You know, you on paper, when you look up the matchups and stuff, you say, man, the Bills just have a lot of green checks on their side and the Browns don't. But in watching this Bills team, because it seems like they're on national television more often than not, they do a great job at keeping bad teams close. You know, and last year, I mean, we remember Jacksonville out of nowhere beats them. They do a very good job of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. It's just last week against Minnesota, fumbling a snap and not being able to get out of the end zone, dropping pick sixes. You know, it's just, it's been a weird thing watching this Bills because when you look down the roster, you see all this talent 
top to bottom on both offense and defense. Yet it just seems like they're kind of show up against Kansas city and then craft the bet against Miami or, you know, something like that. It's just, it's a very Jekyll and Hyde team. And I think Allen's going through just a stretch right now where he's got to be what one of the league leaders in interceptions. I mean, he's thrown five in the last two weeks, three weeks. He is the league leader with 10. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things we, we try to make Baker very Favre like, should that maybe comparison should have gone maybe to Josh Allen? Cause we're talking obviously Allen's bigger and runs, but from a quarterback standpoint, he throws some passes he should not throw. Oh, without a doubt. Like, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said he could be compared to Brett Favre. He's the gunslinger. He's the guy that runs around and tries to make plays, but he has a knack of turning the ball over. Like this year is not, you know, it's not, everybody was kind of picking Josh Allen to be MVP. The bills go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. Now they've hit this last two week stretch where they played really good defenses with the Jets and Vikings and he's turned the ball over and he's been a little bit more careless. Now, obviously the in- elbow injury, you think he would try to harness some of that, but he's still playing that way where he'll run around trying to make plays with his legs. Obviously he's got the, you know, the strong arm, but he's had a knack for turning the ball over and late in the game last week, throws the interception um, to Peterson to seal the victory for Minnesota. But then that botch snap at the goal line, that Minnesota ends up taking the lead on late in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's, it's not good right now for Josh Allen. Like he needs to harness some of it back, rely on what's around him. Yeah. He can still make plays, but he needs to be a little bit more protective of the ball. You're one of the few people that can attest to this because I've been kind of, I kind of jokingly say in our different fantasy chats and stuff like that, that I think that Josh Allen, while being a very good quarterback is sometimes given praise as an elite quarterback. But if we remember right, when he was coming out of Wyoming, one of the biggest things that people said about him was accuracy, right? That sometimes he can overthrow. And I think Brian Dayball did a very good job of designing offensive strategies. And I mean, Dayball has taken the success. I mean, he's make, made a Giants team with probably half the talent he had in Buffalo into one of the leading teams in the NFC. I think they're seven and two or seven and three, um, seven and two, because we're going into week 11, even though if, I don't know if they've had a buy regardless. How much do we think Allen's drop-off is maybe related to losing Brian Dayball? It it very well could be. I mean, Dayball, like you said, harnessed him, uh, let him do what he needed to do. Um, But now you've got a new offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey. This is his first time calling plays, I believe. So this this is a whole new experience for Allen, who had Dayball his entire uh, first five years in the league. So it very well could have been you know, something different, something Dorsey's getting acclimated with, something Allen's getting acclimated with with a new play caller. Maybe Dable was the secret formula to make Josh Allen elevate to be among the elite. Now, you you, you don't think he's as elite as people make him out to be. I, you know, we've seen an expansial, substantial growth in his five years as a quarterback. So, I mean, maybe as the season goes on, maybe they get more acclimated, maybe things get back on track. But you can see some of the, you know, the weaknesses in Allen's game being exposed so far throughout the early parts of the year. Yeah, and some of it to me is accuracy. Because, you know, for example, if you read a play wrong, that's one thing. If sometimes you miss a throw or you just pipe one by and the receiver doesn't get his head around. So you almost just wonder if when Dayball set up that offense for him, because even when he was here and played, because I think he's owned one against the Browns in his career. If you remember right, Bills every much should have won that game back in 2019, but Allen's accuracy 
is what cost them the game. He missed a couple fourth down throws and even on a couple second down throws, he just missed. And I think sometimes we look at him as just this freak, this six foot four guy that can truck people over at 240 pounds. I mean, leads the team in rushing, you know, and, and has a howitzer of an arm. I mean, that there's no doubt about it. The guy's got an absolute cannon. And when it's on and he's dialed in, and for some reason, like when he plays Kansas City or something like that, it's dialed in and he's just, I mean, that playoff game, frozen ropes to Gabe Davis right on the numbers. But then sometimes it just, it just doesn't go right. A lot of that, when I look at their offense and when I think about, all right, the Bills offense versus the Browns defense. Well, the Browns defense can't stop the run. We all know that. They've got a bunch of elementary school level defensive tackles playing. And Buffalo has a five foot seven running back that doesn't really do much of anything, scored his first couple touchdowns this week. Moving the game inside, I think is going to put Buffalo back into this oriented offense that they want to be passed first. We saw last game, the Browns against the Dolphins, that the Browns actually, in a coverage standpoint, did a pretty good job containing Tyreek Hill, did a pretty good job containing Jalen Waddell. The game before that, obviously the Bengals didn't have Jamar Chase, but they did kind of contain T. Higgins until he massacred Grady Williams on a push-off, which I still don't believe the league has issued an apology for that. But the Browns have done a decent job, whether it was Baltimore, Cincinnati, Miami, of taking away those big plays, you know, kind of capping the defense, Greg Williams style without Jabril Preppers playing and, you know, Maslin. Do we think that there's maybe less of an advantage with the, with the Bills offense going up against the Browns defensive secondary, given their inability to run because their offensive line isn't great. You know, Deion Dawkins and Roger Saffold has been kind of down this year. Ryan Bates is not exactly somebody you're just going to, you know, stamp on an all pro team and Mitch Morris is fine. But again, we're not talking about some elite line and, you know, Spencer Brown's another guy they got out there to tackle the Browns hopefully can generate some pressure. Do we think that this yeah. Buffalo offense is susceptible to a defense that's kind of built like the Browns? Yeah, I would think so. Cause I mean, last week against Minnesota, Minnesota's defensive front, generated pressure, made Allen feel uncomfortable, made him throw some bad throws. Now the Browns defense, you know, Miles Garrett up front and Clowney when he's healthy, they can generate pressure. The interiors had their flashes, Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryant. So you would hope against a inept offensive line like Buffalo's that the Browns could attack. It's what they did against Cincinnati. It's what they did against Baltimore. They couldn't do it against Miami just because Tua was throwing the ball out so quickly. I think it was two and a half seconds per throw. So you're hoping that whatever Joe Woods was scheming up against Baltimore and Cincinnati, he reverts to some of that against Buffalo and is able to generate some pressure and force Allen to make the bad throws he's made the last couple of weeks against the Jets and the Vikings to where the, the Browns can, defense can create some turnovers because they haven't had a knack to do that this year. And pretty much over the course of Joe Woods' tenure as defensive coordinator, uh, there's been flashes where they've created turnovers, but it hasn't been consistent like it was with a Greg Williams at defensive coordinator or others at defensive coordinator. So when we look at this Bills offense, we're talking about obviously Stephon Diggs, who I think is nearing 100 targets on the year, which is just insane. We're not we're barely halfway through the season, and this guy is just racking up targets. And I think he's almost at 1,000 yards. You got Stephon Diggs on one side. You got Gabe Davis on the other, who I think a lot of people, you know, especially like the fantasy people, were taking him top five rounds. And now all of a sudden he's kind of – He's, he's back to being what he kind of was last year. And that's a, you know, a number two receiver. Then they have Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox. That's kind of the primary four offensive weapons outside of Diggs, which I think is an obvious one. Are any of those other three guys, somebody you're worried about, obviously Greg Newsom being knocked out by his own linebacker. 
not ideal, less than ideal. Do you think this is something we can make up for with our secondary? What's your, what's your take on how that bills offense? Who do you think they're going to focus on and attack us with? Um, obviously we're going to look to shut down Diggs, and I would think Isaiah or uh, Gabe Davis, just cause he's their home run hitter on offense averages almost 23 yards per reception uh, has five touchdowns this year. Yeah. Our linebackers have had our ups and downs. So maybe they look to, you know, give it to Dawson Knox a little more, maybe showcase him a little more, but I would think you got to, got to find a way to slow down Gabe Davis, because if you're focusing on Diggs so much, all of a sudden Davis could be wide open down the sideline and be gone. I mean, he's had a 98 yard touchdown this year. I mentioned 23 yards per reception. So I would think the Browns defense would need to focus in on trying to slow down Gabe Davis, much like they did last week, slowing down Waddle and Hill for the most part down in Miami. Yeah. I think this is, I think, I think you're right with Davis. I think Davis is kind of going to be the X factor. And I honestly think that it could be one of those things where the Browns, I know this is not a popular thing to say amongst Browns community because obviously Joe Woods at this point has been blamed for just about anything. At this point, I'm waiting for them to just blame him for killing Kennedy as well, but he's going to go to zone. You're going to go to zone against Josh Allen, the same they do against Lamar Jackson. So in some capacity, you're going to see guys running through zones. So basically for our European listeners and some of them, so the bronze will use a zone scheme and then man within the zone, meaning as a guy comes through, they'll trail and follow him. If you cap that defense and say, I'm not going to let Gabe Davis come in behind me for, to your point, 23 yards per reception. I mean, you're talking about deep comebacks, deep posts, nine routes. You're talking about things that are going to stretch the field. Well, if I'm letting Stefan Diggs run these unders and shallow crosses and comebacks at the sticks, don't bring the pitchforks out if Stefan Diggs has nine catches for 70-something yards because I have a funny feeling the Browns are going to say, I'm not going to give you these big ones because Allen, much like Favre, does not like to be patient. Rodgers is the same way. They want to go deep. They want to take those chunk plays. This is why Josh Allen is starting to throw more and more interceptions because he's forcing balls instead of taking the easy ones underneath. I know this sounds very much like Cleveland Browns football. That's what we do sometimes with Baker was we were constantly trying to push the ball down and then, oh, that's being taken away. Now you're talking about picks. Now you're talking about stupid plays where you're holding the ball too long. The pass rush gets home. So yeah, from an offensive standpoint, I, I just, I fully see the Browns going into a zone scheme, letting the Buffalo keep it in front of them. And making sure that, you know, a guy may, I think you could probably spy Al, uh, Allen with somebody like Taki maybe and just say, hey, listen, Singletary, Allen, that's kind of your guy. So maybe you go man in the front there. But for the most part, I see that secondary being in some cover three, maybe even some quarters, just to make sure you don't get beat anything over the top. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Brown's defense. What do they have to do? We talked about generating pressure. Garrett Clowney, do you got any hope that anyone else is going to be able to do anything? I mean, you would hope that somebody up the middle, Bryant, Elliott, one of those guys, uh, you know, they added a D tackle off the Dolphins practice squad who was good in his, I think, nine snaps earlier this year against Pittsburgh, but not really expected much out of him. Obviously, Perrion Winfrey's out with an illness. Obviously, he was benched last week for violating team rules again. This said D tackle room has been such a glaring hole this year. You just hope you get some kind of flash. If Taven Bryan can, you know, do something for a couple snaps or Jordan Elliott can get something out of a couple snaps. I think that's all we're asking for at this point, because I think we all realize that D tackle room is atrocious. It needs to be upgraded this off season. I don't know how they're going to do it, but just, just give us a little bit. If you so, can get us a couple snaps of good performance, that would be enough. 
I went back and I watched that Miami game again. And because at, at the end of the game, buddy, I really wasn't like pitchforked. I was like, oh, because I kind of knew we were going to lo- lose. I knew you guys were down there, obviously having a good time. I heard the stadium yeah. was a little, but I watched it and it was like our defensive tackles were so focused on getting upfield, upfield. They were penetrating these gaps. And surprisingly enough, they were actually being quite effective with it. The problem was, and this is going to sound very phallic, but they were penetrating the wrong gaps. They were shooting the B and they'd go A. They were shooting the A and they'd go B, right? It was like our timing was just off. Miami was doing this little unique thing. And I've said it a few times on the podcast about just a single gap scheme where one person, one body, one gap. But our Miami was doing this thing where their guys were playing two gap. And they were basically means we're going to lock up our offensive linemen and we're going to have the ability to go either A or B. So I almost wonder if Woods is going to have these guys say, listen, let's worry less about the defensive tackles getting up the field and creating pressure. Cause we know Allen, we know Tua, we know these guys like to roll their pockets. Let's let, let's penetrate less in the middle. Let's let Garrett, let's let Clowney. So that would then cause maybe Allen to step up thinking, oh, here comes my rush from the outside. I almost wonder if they're going to have those defensive tackles sit back a little bit, not necessarily get upfield as much to try to just clog up that middle to make Allen move, to make him run. And then obviously you'll have your spy in the back end. But I do worry though, this could be a game where we see some blown coverages in those secondary. And I know we've, we've kind of ragged on, well, at least we have on our show, uh, Delpit a little bit, who's played better, obviously much better against the run than he has the past. And John Johnson, the third, just doesn't seem to be performing to the value of what he's paid. How worried are you that there's going to be a blown coverage? Oh, I'm expecting it every Sunday now. Just it, it, There's going to be some kind of miscommunication. And, you know, whether it's Gabe Davis or Isaiah McKenzie or even Diggs, I'm expecting a wide open touchdown tomorrow. Like that's just, I mean, it's what I've come to expect with this defense. Unfortunately, uh, we have the talent. It just seems like there's some, it's either miscommunication, bad coaching effort. There's always something that spellbounds this defense from where we think they're going to turn the corner and play well, and then lay an egg like they did last week against Miami. Yeah. I mean, it, listen, it's inevitable. And actually it was kind of funny. We talk about effort. I know that people love to pillage some of our, our secondary guys for giving less than a hundred percent effort to tackle running backs. Did you watch that Thursday night game at all? No, the Packers Titans. started to watch it, fell asleep, <laughs> go back and watch the second half and see how willing those Packers defenders were to get in on Derrick Henry on a couple of those plays where Jair Alexander, we talk about business decisions and people want to kill him. He saw Henry about three yards down the field and only had about a yard and a half to the end zone and said, no, you're good. I ain't stopping you, buddy. You're, you're about 40 pounds more than me. So I get it. Effort. Effort is usually dictated by wins and losses. If you're winning, you give a lot more effort. Anybody that's yeah. played sports knows that. Is there a matchup that you're most looking forward to in terms of the corners, in terms of, you know, maybe the linebackers on tight ends, like who in the Browns defense are you most looking forward to in terms of who they're going to be matching up with on the Buffalo offense? I mean, obviously, you could take the easy answer and say Denzel Ward versus Stephon Diggs. Um, for me, because it's JOK is back, and I would like to see him against Dawson Knox. And then you mentioned like him, like Taki Taki spying Allen and Singletary. Maybe JOK goes into that role. But just seeing JOK back out there, the injury to see how he is. I know he's had a regression year this year. I think injuries have played a part in that. Um, but seeing him back on the field is the one thing I'm looking forward to the most i have a 
I have a random thought. Do we think maybe Emerson's on on Diggs? He's more physical. He He's got longer arms. If I'm if and I'm Ward's I know the speed. That, and that's what Ward's I'm thinking. The speed is, to match now, up with Davis. Davis yeah. is obviously bigger, so that would be my worry. But if I'm if I'm Woods, I may say, you know what, Emerson, Rook, hey buddy, get in there, mix it up with him because Diggs is a physical receiver. He's small in terms of, you know, his size, but he's very physical in his routes, whether he's coming out of the tree, you know, it just, he'll stem one way, but you got to be physical with him at the top of that break. Cause otherwise that's how he creates a separation. So now we're flipping over to the Browns offense. Cause you know, we're going to save the best for last here. The, uh, the offense is, been we'll call it rudderless for the last couple of games. It just seems like they haven't really been able to get going in the right direction, get their momentum going. Obviously we had that Cincinnati game where it just seemed like all things were working. Miami was a setback. You mentioned earlier in the show about the Browns having the offensive line advantage. Buffalo has been getting gouged against the run the last few games. If I were to give you Nick Chubb over under 20 carries, how much money are you putting on the over? We're in a dome. Fake, fake, fake so, money. Way, fake money, not real money. We do not condone right. gambling. In We're a dome. in a dome now, so it make it would make me think it is still going to be less than twenty. Because yeah, less than twenty cares for Chubber, huh? And I mean it, but it could be. I mean, I know that stats out there. Well, when they give them 20 carries, we're undefeated or I, whatever it is. I only but, mean it because I agree. I think those stats are frankly ridiculous because when you're losing, but Buffalo it's one of those things where you're going to have to keep them off the field. Right. And Dalvin cook went for a buck 19 against them last week. Now, obviously he had the 81 on one carry. So it's a little bit hard to, uh, to kind of equate apples to apples on that one, but didn't even the jets a few weeks ago, uh, hang a decent, I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, Carter 76 yards on 12 carries, James Robinson, 50 yards on 13 carries. I don't know. I think the Browns, I think Chubb's going to be up for one of those 22, 23, 24 yard carry or carry games. And then even Chubb or hunt will have his, you know, six to seven. I could see the Browns running this ball upwards of 30 times. And I think offensively it's not obvious in terms of the Duffin world of analytics, you know, obviously passing leads to more points, but in terms of ball control and making sure that you're putting yourself, I think the Browns are going to just run the shit out of this ball. And that would be smart to limit Buffalo's time of possession offensively, um, run the ball, you know, set up the play action, make let Jacoby make the throws we know he can make every once in a while, shut up a deep shot to Cooper because that's worked in the Buffalo or the Baltimore game and the Cincinnati games. But yeah, hold the line of scrimmage, dictate the game clock, like let Chubb and them run. Like I, I laugh at the people that say Chubb doesn't run enough when he's top five in the league and carries per game, top five of the league in overall carries. But yeah, give him a few extra carries this week. Like, let him get back into a groove because obviously last week Miami stopped it. Now, on the same page, Buffalo still has a really strong defensive line and they will stifle you. Like, you know, if, if Chubb gets shut down on the opening carries, then that could really totally change the, the uh, game plan that Stefanski and Van Pelt have incorporated. You mentioned earlier about the Buffalo defense. And ironically enough, if I'm not mistaken, they're missing... Rousseau on the D line. They're missing Tremaine Edmonds in the middle on the second level and um, Tredavious white, right. Is he's out as well. And then yep. obviously Micah Hyde has been out for a few weeks. So 
the Browns have different levels to attack on this defense. Now, obviously, you mentioned Buffalo still has a pretty strong defensive line. AJ Epinesa's one, uh, Vaughn Miller. Obviously, we know we've we've seen Vaughn Miller enough that we know what he's made about. Do you think there's any matchups on the Browns offense that favor going up against some of these second string Buffalo guys? Donovan Peoples Jones, whoever Buffalo's number two corner is now would obviously be their number three in reality once Travis White's back out there, but he's been racking up good game after good game. He's being that wide receiver two that people thought he could be, at least in my eyes. Maybe he's a wide receiver three, but whoever he's going to be lined up against, because obviously, you know, Travis White's out. So I think it's Elam, their first yeah, Ky- round pick Ky- would probably be Kyer Elam and then that uh Dane Jackson, I believe, are their two guys. So Elam would probably be on Cooper, depending on you know how those guys stack up against our receivers. But I think Donovan Peoples Jones could be in line for another strong game, which is I mean, would love to see him get in the end zone. He hasn't had a touchdown all season, but he's been putting together consistent games down this these last several weeks so i would like to think he would be the one that could exploit buffalo secondary tomorrow yeah he's a guy obviously that a lot of the browns receiver room hinges on him right six round pick so you like it when these guys can produce at a low number in terms of where they were picked but i was most encouraged last week when Brissett looked his way on that third and 16 and just stifled one to him he ended up getting, I think, 22, 23 yards. And it was like, all right, now we're starting to see Donovan Peoples-Jones make some impact plays because a lot of times, unfortunately, some of his catches and yards, a little bit of what I call Blake Bortles garbage time, where it's like, okay, he's got 37 yards and he catches two balls on a final drive and adds 36 yards. And, oh, look, he's at you know 70-odd yards. The one guy that I'm going to be looking at, and I, I hope he plays, I really do, is David Njoku because – When we talk about coverage, we're talking about Tremaine Edmonds, the Buffalo linebacker who's out. Matt Milano is one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in the league right now. So he's going to be the one that's going to be tasked with shutting down the run. But their main coverage backer was Edmonds. So with him stepping out, you're talking about like a a Tyrell Dodson or a Tyrese Bernard. There's a precipitous drop off in terms of that linebacker play next to Matt Milano. So I would love David Njoku to be back for this game. I think this is a game that he'd be able to dominate the middle of the field. I want to see him draw Poyer. You know, if we're talking about Poyer is one of the better ball hawking safeties in the league. So if David Njoku is whooping his guy, like, you know, whatever, we'll use politically correct analogies, beating him like a drum, they're going to shade Poyer down, which now you're talking about Cooper, talking about Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think Njoku is the little bit of the wild card that's going to enable these guys to kind of get open on the outside because, I mean, realistically, how many points do we think the Browns offense is going to need to score if they plan on trying to win this game? At least 24. I would say at least 24 24. is the magic number. Yeah. Because Vegas, I think, has it as Browns plus eight with the over-under is about 47-48. So right now they're predicting it right about a 28-20 to game. Kind of. That sounds about right. Yeah. If, if somebody were to say, Hey, make a blind guess, that's probably about where I would be as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's going to be a game. That's going to be, I think we're either going to know by halftime, whether we're going to have a, a decent game or not. I think, you know, those first few drives, because I think the Browns notorious have been very fast starters. You know, we seem to score early and often, but then that second quarter is like, you know how they post the stats. I would love to see how many points the Browns have scored 
in the second quarter. Cause I just feel like we'll be like touchdown field goal, punt, 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 punt. And then it's like halftime. So I'd love to see, you know, the Browns just be able to keep it close. You know, let's make this 13, 10, 17, 13, 17, 14. Let's make sure come halftime, we've been able to turn some quality offensive drives into points. You know, my worry with Stefanski on this one though, is it's going to be fourth and one at the Buffalo 11 and we're going to go for it. And people are going to be bringing out the pitchforks again because they're going to be like, kick the field goal, kick the field goal. This is a game where you're going to need sevens, not threes. So don't be surprised in that first half if the Browns go river, full riverboat Ron and start gambling on fourth down. So Yeah, I mean, it's something we've expected with Stefanski throughout his tenure, um, maybe being a bit more aggressive because it's a team like Buffalo that can just you know, blow your doors off. So I would expect a little more aggression, like you said, um, early on in the game tomorrow, just trying to get some points on the board. All right. So take your homerism glasses off. What's your score prediction? The Paul, the Paul Brown podcast <clears throat> vaunted score prediction. So much hinges on this, by the way, Vegas odds, everything. What is your score prediction? Buffalo 31, Cleveland 20. Ooh, Buffalo covers and the over. So this is Paul's favorite segment. He, when we're doing the recordings, he cannot wait to get the score predictions. We like finished the intro and he's already asking me what the score is. And this time I made him listen to about 30 minutes of podcast before I'm going to do the score prediction, but he made sure to send me his score prediction. So he's getting ready off to Qatar. He goes, but he actually took time to send me one and goes, guys, or Ian, I want you to make sure that everybody knows Paul is calling the Browns upset win and he's doing it by going to his, it's the score that doesn't lose form. Browns 21 bills 20. That is the, the, the Paul Brown's bet when he's calling upset, it's 21 20. So Paul's on the record for 21 20. I have two scores. One's by my brain and one's by my heart. And I think that's how most of the Browns fans live. I don't see a way barring three turnovers, which I think would like double our season output at this point that the Browns run away with this one. So this, if the Browns win, I think you're talking about, I would say 27, you said 24. I'm thinking the Browns are going to have to put up about 27 in none of these 27, 24 games, you know, 30 to 24, 30, 27. I think if the Browns win, you're looking at something like that on the flip side, I can see several scenarios where Buffalo hits a 31-20, kind of like you said. So my heart says 27-24 Browns. My brain says 30-23 to Buffalo. In saying that, the Browns plus those eight points is probably the safe bet for me. I'm probably leaning at about a 64.7% confidence on that one. But we always say that. So there's the score predictions. Jack, he's, 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 you don't want to hear his score prediction. I think he added it like Buffalo 35, 10. So that's not relevant game balls <laughs> who are going to be the guys on the offensive side and the defensive side. You know, obviously we know the famous story about Jack calling the interception and handing the ball to Hugh Jackson. So game balls are very important here. Who is your prediction for that? We'll call it the defensive MVP of the game and the offensive MVP who are getting your game balls on Sunday. So defensive MVP, I'm going to steal what you said earlier. I'm going to go Martin Emerson. I think he's going to do a formidable job 
covering Stefan Diggs, limiting him to, like you said, that nine, 10 catch game for like 80 yards or so, which would be obviously it would look bad on the box score, but when you're going up against Stefan Diggs, who's one of the best receivers in the league, I think it would be a formidable job for a rookie uh, third round pick. So Emerson's my defensive game ball, offensive game ball. Going to go, going to go Nick Chubb. I think that's the obvious cop out. Um, You know, I, I think he can have a good game. Obviously, like you said, the last couple of weeks, uh, Buffalo's defense hasn't been great against the run. So Obviously, you know, Derrick Henry edging away with the rushing title. Nick Chubb has a strong performance tomorrow and gets back in the hunt for that. You think he goes for over 100? Yeah, I'll say he goes right, for so Chubb's going over 100. So I'm going to take a unique flip on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's a guy that is going to step up and make some plays. I got him forcing a fumble in this one. I think Deion Jones, I think Deion Jones is going to be due for one of those games where he's at eight, nine tackles, maybe gets a sack because Amble or Allen scrambles too long. So I think with JOK kind of maybe playing your point of spy Knox, I think they're going to use him verse in a little versatile fashion. I think Deion Jones is going to be my long shot in terms of who's going to get that, that game ball on defense and on offense. I think it's I think it's a welcome back party for David Njoku. I've I've loved the kind of alternating between Njoku and DPJ this year, but I think Njoku offers if he's going to play. So as an honorary second, I'm going to go with um, I think Kareem Hunt's going to have a receiving touchdown. Kareem Hunt's going to be my backup game ball if Njoku doesn't play. But that's just kind of where I'm breaking it down. Specials we'll do that after the game. There's no really way to preview specials. Nobody really cares. But outside of that. Do you think the Browns can win this game with if they win the turnover margin by say one? Say it's two yeah. to one or one nothing. You think yeah. one's enough? One could be enough. One, okay, that that's my worries. I'm I'm leaning towards it might have to be two, but I'm going to take your optimism for that. Ah, oh, this is going to be an interesting one. How yeah, much? Owen and I talked, or O Ian, as I say. We talked a little while back about kind of Browns fandom and really there's nobody else that I know that's as plugged into kind of the Browns fan base in terms of Twitter and all the things that are happening than you. So Owen and I kind of talked about it as like the Browns train, you know, cause we're obviously European. How many more stops, you know, obviously week 17 is you get off the train. How many more stops, how many more games, if each game is a stop, do you think this fan base is going to hold on? if we take the L on Sunday or is the train just oh, off the tracks? I think it's off the tracks already. Like this fan base, I don't know what they were expecting when, I, I mean, I can get the frustration towards Joe Woods and Mike Prefer, but like each passing game and people are calling for Stefanski's head, calling for Barry's head. Like is the criticism valid? Yes. Should people, should they lose their jobs? No, it hasn't gotten that bad yet. I think the expectations were maybe a bit ramped up because of Watson, because maybe they expected more out of Jacoby Brissett. Maybe they expected more out of Stefanski and the way he would uh, game plan and call plays. But like, it just seems like every week, like the noise to fire Stefanski or fire Barry gets louder and louder. And some of the media pushes that too. And, you know, it's some of the lower level media people, but I think, I think it's just ridiculous how some people handle like each loss, like they act like it's the end of the world with each, each after each loss that stacks up. How much of that do you think is just solely based on results? 
Cause like when you go back, like, can you count on more than one hand, like the egregious mistakes that Stefanski's made? I mean, in the past, we've had Browns coaches where you three, four decisions a game. You'd be like, what the hell are they doing? I feel like with Stefanski, I can understand every decision he makes. While I may not personally have done those things, I can't think of anything egregious he's done. I mean, I think he's a good coach. He's a former coach of the year, right? Yeah. What what are what are the supporting arguments for for sacking the manager halfway through the season? I, I I just I don't see him. Yeah, I don't get it either. Like last week, the uh, clock management at the end of the first half it was ten seven. Miami, you know, I think they th- the Browns threw a couple times, and then they ran. It was, it was no good. They you know they well, punt. penalties. Miami gets that, hold- that holding. Like we had yeah. the ball, we went backwards. It's like yeah. I mean, he's got to complete passes and get the ball moving. I think he tried to run it on first down, and then it was like pass, pass, and you're right, only like 47 seconds went off. But at the end of the day, like, you can discipline guys for committing penalties, but at the end of the day, that's, yes, coaching preparedness, but at the end of the day, if a guy holds, a guy holds. That's execution. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing egregious that Stefanski's done. Like, he's made his mistakes, but what coach doesn't make mistakes? Andy Reid makes mistakes. There's no perfect – yeah, Belichick's made mistakes, and he's one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest ever. I just think people expected too much this year, and you know, I'll, you know, the hope was that we would be still in contention once Watson got back, and then uh, whatever happens with Watson was going to be a bonus, perhaps. But I just, I think you know, the fan base is very, they're very bipolar, is what I would say, because two, you know they're two happy and one as in the hell, division. and we're two and one in the we division, are. and it's, it's not over. I mean. Yeah, it's not over, but I mean, obviously, it's on. It's we're on yeah, thin we're, ice, but yeah, we're th- we're three games yeah, back, just... and we have two games left with a backup quarterback, realistically, and then you just wonder. I think that's why when I was talking to Owen, I wonder if the train makes it through that Houston game, because I think you and I both know. Say the Browns lose this one, beat Tampa, and we're going into that Houston game with momentum. We'd be four and seven. Oh boy. Well, here we go. It's four and seven. We're going in the Houston and Houston is not very good. I think we know that, right? Right. The Browns go out there, play well. Watson looks good, but he's rusty a little bit. You know, it's not one of those games where you're like, holy crap. He goes out, throws a couple touchdowns, throws a couple interceptions, whatever it is. But say the Browns win 26, 20, right? Now we go to Cincinnati. Right. I think that's kind of at this point where the tipping point's going to be that those first two weeks of December, that Texans game, that Bengals game, because realistically, if you go down to Cincy and we've had their number and you beat the Bengals, hope is going to rise from the ashes. That's what's going to happen. And I think all of those yep. people, you know, we that end of the season doesn't look as hard as it used to. Saints, Commanders, Steelers, all three of those games are winnable. Yep. If you can get, in this case, I would say two out of the next three. Now you're getting into division play. Now it's time to really kind of figure out what's going on with these afterburners. Is there going to be a late season boost? Because as we know, you just got to get in. And hopefully, you know, by week 16, 17, Watson's playing a lot better than he is in week 13, right? And I think that's kind of the idea. So I just, I get the Woods thing. It's obviously been such a belabored point and people have, tweeted about we just do the same things listen you're limited with talent and i think we all know barry i think knows we're gonna have to overhaul this defensive tackle room 
do you think it'll set the fan base off the rails if they do not fire Joe Woods? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because I think, it, you know, midway through last year, people were calling for his head. Obviously they turned things around the second half, but it was just like, it was the same mistakes again. And I just think people are really frustrated with Joe Woods. They want somebody to be held accountable for that. And the fact that I think that's the other thing with Stefanski is that he's not holding people accountable. He used when your, your, your quotes there, the air quotes, holding people accountable. Cause yeah. we don't, we don't know. We're not in Berea. Right. So we don't know who's right. being held accountable. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, if they made changes to Woods' staff, like if they fired Jeff Howard or Chris Kiffin or whoever linebacker coaches, like that could make things a little better at the end of the year. But I still think people just want a new voice in that defensive with a defensive coordinator, maybe a whole new defensive staff. I just think people want some kind of change. And I think that's another reason why people are frustrated with Stefanski is that he's being too loyal. I compared it to Francona and how he held on to some of his assistance on his staff for so long and how he trusted players longer than they should have. I think that's the other thing like that irks people about Stefanski, but yeah, if they don't fire woods, which I mean, you're hearing the media, some media people saying it's going to happen. If it were to not happen, I think people would blow up and they would call for Stefanski's head even louder here. here I'm going to put it. My CEO hat on change for the sake of change is never a good strategy. Never is in any sort of industry or team. I wondered, I've asked this before. Do you think fans are most upset at the scheme or the execution? Because for example, to to differentiate the two, if Andrew Barry, Paul D Podesta and the staff said, we want to run a a primary four, three base with dime three safeties, Barry's building the roster. And they went out and said, Joe Woods is the best guy that was available in 2020 to run this defense. If they fire him and bring in another guy and he runs the same scheme, is it change for the sake of change? Or do we change the scheme? Because we've been drafting players now for three years based on the defensive scheme that all the analytics guys say they want to run. I think the execution should be what's more more to blame because you've seen guys like Tyvis Powell, Gerard Cherry, guys that have played in the league. Tyvis Powell played in the scheme in San Francisco. He is, keeps saying that it's the execution. He goes, they're scheming up the right things. Now, I know last week against Miami, he said the um, Tyreek Hill touchdown in the third quarter was just a complete bad play call by Joe Woods. But for the most part, he has said it's been more the execution than it is the scheme. Mm-hmm. And I would tend to agree because you've seen guys not not tackle well. We've talked about, you know, John Johnson making the business decision on the goal line against Baltimore. Like the effort, the execution, I think that's more to blame, which I think reverts back to the talent, which mean which that means Barry gets criticized more. But I think it's the execution more than anything. But is a defensive coordinator solely responsible for execution? No. And that's what I said, like guys like Jeff Howard, guys like Chris Kiffin. Um, I forget the linebacker coach's name. Jason, those Jason guys Tarver. need to be held. more. Yeah. Jason Tarver. Those guys should be held more accountable, but obviously it goes to the head guy. It goes to Joe Woods. It all falls on him at the end of the day. Here's 
this is going to sound odd. Obviously, I didn't play at a professional level. I played at decently high levels. I remember the importance of my coaches throughout the week, and whether that was baseball, whether it was soccer, whether it was football, I remember the importance of the coaches and showing us on film, right? Because players don't have the time or the energy or really the effort to put together game plans. They don't. So you sit in a meeting and you say, hey, Buffalo loves to do this on first down, so this is what we're going to run. But in a game, baseball may be the exception because you're managing such a slower-paced game. It To me is you have guys that they're asking to do things that they're not capable of doing, right? So you're basically saying, okay, I want Tommy Togiai to be a stout at the point of attack guy. He's 23 years old. He may be 300 pounds, but he gets ragdolled. So I look at that and say, if you don't have anybody that can actually do that, how much of this goes to Andrew Barry? Because if I'm Joe Woods, I'm like, listen, this is the scheme you want to run. Okay, we are putting the scheme because you're right. There are going to be times when an OC beats a DC. There are going to be times when a DC beats an OC. That is football. There is no defensive coordinator, no offense coordinator in the league that's batting a thousand against the opponent, right? And Mike McDaniel, as weird as I think he is, he is an extremely smart individual in terms of designing offense. They may have shown one thing. The Browns thought something. They checked to something. Boom, Tyreek Hill runs an ad lib touchdown. That happens in every single game there is. But my worry is, and listen, I don't know Joe Woods. I don't own stock in the guy staying. I don't have bets. But Browns fans get in this perpetual circle of always, well, fire and get somebody else. Fire and get somebody else. And at the end of the day, if you don't like the scheme and they fire Woods and bring in D'Amico Ryans or some other 38-year-old and they run the same scheme... You may not like that result either. So it may be some, that's why I ask people, is it literally what you're seeing or the fact that you just don't think that these are inspired? Because any top person will always tell you at a professional level, if you're a professional salesperson, professional doctor, whatever it is, there's motivation and then there's discipline. Bill Belichick focuses on discipline. I know people that have played for Bill Belichick. He does not go in there every morning and give you a rah, rah, let's go win one for the Gipper speech. He looks at you straight in the face and says, do your fucking job. And he says, there is discipline regarding that. And that's kind of the, the, the thing I think the Browns players lack is the discipline of doing their job. Because I think each guy is going to try to make a hero play. They go outside a scheme. And I know Tyvis and a few of the other guys have pointed that out. So I just hope that people don't think that banging on the drum for let's fire Woods. And if it happens, it happens. Like, I get it. He's had three years and we've seen flashes of good, flashes of bad. Without other supplemental changes, we're going to run into these same issues. And by the way, this just got tweeted. And I must say, listen, I love Shefty. He's saying there was forty or 56,000 tickets sold in less than 48 hours to Sunday's Cleveland Buffalo game in Detroit. Mostly, of course, to Bills fans. Adam, it was a Bills home game. They only released the code to buy tickets to the Bills fans. Browns fans, psychotically enough, got the code and started buying tickets under Bills game 2002 or 2022. Yep. So like they have no way of knowing who bought tickets as a Browns fan or a Bills fan is it was all the same code. Yep. Like, what a stupid thing. Yeah, I get it. I love you, Shefty, even though you're about four foot seven. <laughs> but beside the point, I've stood next to him. I'm like, holy crap, you're small. But yeah, so 
this will be an interesting one. It'll be weird seeing it at Ford Field, that's for sure. You know, but yeah, it'll almost be like a, a neutral site playoff game. So I don't know. I think we've covered everything. It's nice having you know somebody we can talk football on here. Uh, yes, that's a shot at you, Jack. <laughs> so I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, I, I heard he's having a wonderful time on holiday. Uh, when you saw him in Miami, was he what shade of British red? Was he scorched red, somewhat red, tainted red? Like what was our red level on Duffin? He wasn't that red when I met him because obviously he came in on Saturday night to oh, Miami. Hadn't had and then to get burned yet. Yeah. And Sunday morning, he still wasn't burnt when we met at the stadium. So. All right. Well, we're going to have to check in with him when he gets back. He did a great job, obviously, posting um, all those position groups. If you haven't had a chance Go ahead and check those ones out. That's a good one. And also, if you don't, if you haven't, if you aren't already, head on over to. Why don't you plug your uh, Twitter handle, and then now everybody can go over there and follow you at the Dogland and Dogs by Nature. So, because Twitter's still alive, um, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Jack McCurry zero eight. Uh, the podcast is under the Dogs by Nature feed, so search Dogs by Nature wherever you get your podcast. It's called the Dogland Podcast. We do a couple episodes a week. Obviously, the last week and a half we weren't because I was on vacation as well. But we'll be back at it this week, uh, recapping Browns Bills tomorrow. So sounds good. It's a big one. It would it would be nice to we've given up and given up enough games where we should have won and lost. It'd be nice if we can actually win a game that we're supposed to lose. So I'm looking forward to it. I think the team's going to be ready prepared i'm waiting for that game this year that we're all going to be like oh thank you there's the one we wanted right all the sides are going to be clicking much like cincinnati so let's hope they can give it to buffalo and come back and maybe jump, you know, maybe have a couple fans jump back on the bus and ride it out a few more stations but on that note everybody stay safe this weekend have a great thanksgiving i'll talk to the boys i don't know obviously with paul being in a third world country full of corruption um for the world cup we'll see how many shows we can get in through now and then but everybody enjoy the thanksgiving if you're overseas i don't think you celebrate that so just enjoy a nice you know weekend where the u.s is celebrating their holiday but on that note let's go browns <laughs>